Let's talk today about Habakkuk. And I know what you're thinking. Not another sermon about Habakkuk. I've heard... Man, I thought that would get a few more laughs. Yikes. Tough crowd today. All right. No, the truth is, we don't know a whole lot about Habakkuk. Um, in, in fact, there, there's not very much biographical information about the man, Habakkuk, who wrote the book, Habakkuk. We're pretty unfamiliar. To us, it just sounds like the sound that you make when you have to cough up some phlegm from the back of your throat. That's kind of what his name sounds like. And we don't know much about what's in this book in our Old Testament. But if you've been keeping up with your Bible reading, then you read this book this past week. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of who's you know, right on target or who's a little bit behind or who's way behind. But some of you, I know, have stayed on top of it and you've read Habakkuk this past week. And if you've read it, it only takes until verse 2 of chapter 1 until you're hooked. It's verse 2 of chapter 1 that really, when I read it, grips my attention. It is when Habakkuk says, O Lord, how long? And we can say of the book, you know what? You had me at how long? Because how long, O Lord, is a question that if we have not verbalized it, if we haven't articulated it out loud, many of us have at least thought it. How long? So it doesn't take very long when you begin reading before you're, you're hooked, before your attention is arrested. How long? For Habakkuk, the prophet in the Old Testament, and I would invite you to turn to this book with me, and I'll tell you what, I'll give you a little bit of extra time. Because it's a little harder to find than, say, Genesis or the Psalms or Matthew or Revelation. Grab a Bible and go with me to the book of Habakkuk. For this prophet, his question is, O oh Lord, how long will you allow wicked foreign nations to punish your people? Habakkuk in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Let's read these verses. He says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Why are you sitting around doing nothing about all the wickedness that is before you? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise so the law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous so justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk lives in a time of great geopolitical instability and turbulence. We think that he writes this book sometime between 640 and 615 B.C., a long time ago. Around a century before he writes, in 722 B.C., and remember, when we're talking about B.C., the years count down. In 722 B.C., God used the Assyrians to punish Israel, the northern kingdom. The Assyrians came in and they carted off Israel into exile. And now, God is about to use Babylon to punish Assyria and then to punish or discipline His people Judah in the southern kingdom. In fact, Babylon would invade Judah in 605 B.C., in 597 B.C., before they totally laid waste to Jerusalem 
in 586 BC. That's a really important date for Israelite history. That's when the Babylonians came in and sacked Jerusalem and desecrated the temple. And this was just a few decades after Habakkuk writes his book. Eventually, the Babylonians or the Chaldeans, as as they're sometimes called, would be taken over by the Persians. And so Habakkuk is smack dab in the middle of all this upheaval, all of this political turmoil. It was a scary time to be alive in Judah. It was a time when God was using foreign powers for His divine purpose. Now, Habakkuk, as a man of God, as a prophet of God, he would not dispute that most of his people deserve judgment from God. With the exception of a short-lived period of revival under King Josiah's leadership, you may remember King Josiah, I think Alex talked about him last Sunday night. He was a righteous king, he was upright, he loved God, and, and great reforms came about under his leadership. But with that exception, Judah, on the whole, had become incredibly corrupt. Many of the people, not all, but many of God's people were worshiping Baal, the false god on the high places. They were dedicating horses to the sun god. They were allowing the temple of God to fall into ruin, the grand temple that was built by Solomon. And they were even, get this, they were even offering their children as sacrifices to Molech. Undoubtedly, God's people, the people in Judah, stood under the judgment of God. And Habakkuk would not dispute that. But Habakkuk does question God's method of judgment. He says in verse 13 of chapter 1 to God directly, Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Or we could say, Why do you allow or why will you allow the wicked to swallow up the less wicked? Listen, Lord, I know things are bad in in Judah. I know that we're wicked, but they are way more wicked than we are. So why are you allowing this extremely wicked foreign nation, why are you using them to bring about punishment on your less wicked people? That is the argument that Habakkuk makes to God. Habakkuk, in essence, says, God, I don't understand what you're up to. I don't get what you're doing or what you're allowing to happen. It doesn't make sense to me. And I don't like it. So how long? How long will my people have to suffer? When will we have to face the full brunt of the Babylonian forces? And how long until they, the Babylonians, that foreign nation, how long until they get their due? How long until you bring judgment upon them like you're about to bring judgment upon us? How long, O Lord? That's Habakkuk's how long. But your how long may be a little different. The how long that you bring before God today. How long will I have to endure this painful grief? He's been gone a year. She's been gone five years. And yet some days, the grief is just as painful and palpable as the day they passed away. 
So how long, O oh Lord, am I going to have to deal with this, this crippling grief? How long will I have to face this powerful temptation? You know, it just seems, God, like as soon as I've got it licked, it rears its ugly head in my life again. So how long am I, I going to be tempted by this thing that keeps tripping me up? How long will this strife in my relationship last? How long is my home going to be a place full of tension instead of warmth and comfort and love? How long is this strife going to exist in my marriage, in my friendship, in the relationship with my parents, in the relationship with my friends? How long am I going to have to put up with this? How long will I deal with difficulty in my workplace? God, I dread getting up every day and going to work. It's not a fun place to be. Because of my boss, because of my coworkers, just the general environment. How long, Lord, do I need to put up with this? How long until I'm financially stable? It just seems like as soon as I think I've gotten ahead, something else comes up. Another unexpected bill comes along that I've got to pay, and then I'm back at square one. How long? How long will I have to fight this illness? You know, when I was first diagnosed, I was confident, I was prayerful, I was faithful, I knew that we could beat it, but it just keeps coming back. So how long until you're going to rid my body of this? We say to God like Habakkuk, Habakkuk did, I don't understand what you're up to. I don't know what you're doing in my life. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. So how long? Well, God is about to answer Habakkuk. Sort of. He gives him some answers that may not be satisfying to Habakkuk. And when you see his answers, you may think they're not very satisfying to you either. But look with me in the book here at a few examples as, Hab as God responds to Habakkuk's complaint. Habakkuk makes two complaints and God responds twice. I just want to share with you a few lines from the response that Habakkuk the prophet gets from his God. In verse 5, listen to this. He says, look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded. And this part's up on the screen. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if Told. And then he goes on to say, I'm raising up the Babylonians, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, they're going to come in, and I am using them as my instrument of judgment against my wicked people. But if I were to tell you about all that I'm up to, if I were to try to explain the work that I'm doing in your life, even if I told you, you still wouldn't believe it. You don't have the mental capacity, you don't have the resources to fully understand my ways. So maybe you should, you should stop trying to understand my ways. And just back off a little bit. And trust me. It calls to mind for me what God has to say in the prophet Isaiah's writing in chapter 55 verse 9. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. So are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God says to Habakkuk, even if I tried to explain it to you, you still wouldn't understand it. And then he says in chapter 2, verse 3, Still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. 
Habakkuk wants to know how long. Give me a timetable. Let me know the dates. God says, I know that it seems my plan is unfolding slowly to you, but let me tell you something, and you need to believe it. My timing is always perfect. It may seem like I'm running behind schedule. It may seem like I'm late to you, but the day will surely come. It will not delay. I will be right on time. So my timing is different than your timing. You may want something to happen before it's supposed to happen. Trust in me to handle it. You may think that I'm, I am late to the scene, that I'm waiting around, that I'm standing idly by. Just hold on a second. Because my timing, I, I am always right on time, God says. My timing is always perfect. And then, what about this? Chapter 2, verse 20. Did you know this verse comes from Habakkuk? But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. That worked out pretty perfectly this morning with our song. I didn't even request that we sing that song. We sang those very words that come from the Holy Scriptures, that come from the book of Habakkuk. That's a very reverent song, isn't it? It's a very somber song. It's not, you know, an upbeat, jovial worship song. God here is saying to Habakkuk, you know what? Sometimes you just need to close your mouth and stand in awe and silence before your sovereign God. Maybe you're talking a little too much. You just need to know that I am in my holy place. Be silent before me. So these are some of God's answers. Habakkuk says, how long? And God says, you wouldn't get it if I told you. And God says, you need to wait and trust in my timing. And God says, shh, basically, the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before Him. These are God's answers. I think that God's answers are summed up best in chapter 2, verse 4 of Habakkuk. I think that God's answer in a nutshell can be found in this verse. God's answers are best summarized in the second part of verse 4 of chapter 2 when God says, the righteous shall live by faith. God's answer is not, let me give you greater understanding into what I'm up to. Let me give you more information about what I'm doing, about the work that I am involved in. Let me share with you some more details. That is not his answer. That is rarely his answer. His answer in Habakkuk and his answer often to us is not, let me give you more information. It's, you need to have deeper trust and faith in me. You see, we like to be in the know. We like to have a plan, a schedule. I'm speaking for myself here, but I bet we've got others in the house for whom this is the case. God, I want to know. How long is this going to be going on? I, I want to put it in my calendar. When it's going to wrap up so that I can have something to look forward to, so that there can be some light at the end of the tunnel. So tell me, God, what you're up to. And God instead says, I'm not going to do that. Instead, you need to have greater faith in me. The righteous, righteous people, 
People who have been made righteous in the sight of God through His grace, people who are seeking as a result of that to live righteous lives, and I bet we've got a house full of them this morning, that's why you're here. Because you have been made righteous because you're trying to be righteous. The Bible says in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, the righteous shall live by faith. And it's not just in Habakkuk where we see this phrase. This becomes an important idea for the whole Bible. In fact, this line from this obscure Old Testament prophetic book, the book of Habakkuk is repeated three times in the New Testament. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. You may want to jot these down so you can check them out later. Romans 1, 17. Galatians 3, 11. Hebrews 10, 38. The righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. It is a reminder, it ought to be a reminder to us that the life of faith is all-consuming. It's all-encompassing. By faith, yes, we initially receive the gift of salvation. We are saved by God's grace through our faith. And when I say through our faith, I am including in that those obedient acts, those responses by which we receive Salvation, confession, and repentance, and baptism, that is all bundled up together with faith. It is by faith that we are initially saved, but it's also by faith that we are to live each day. We are to live each day fully trusting ourselves to our God. Now, I have faith. I mean, of course, I have faith. I'm a Christian. I'm a minister of the gospel. I'm up here preaching. I have faith. But sometimes I wonder how faithful I am. And I don't mean F-A-I-T-H-F-U-L. I mean F-A-I-T-H-F-U-L-L. I sometimes wonder how full of faith I am. Now, I've always stuck with Jesus. And I've never given up on Jesus. I've messed up plenty of times and continue to do. But I always go back to Jesus. And I I know that He is the only Savior. He's the only one who, who can bring me life and salvation, who can cleanse me from my sins. I've always stuck with Jesus. And I believe that weak faith in Jesus is better than strong faith in anything or anyone else. But I just wonder if when I'm tested, And when I face difficulties in my life and when my faith is challenged, how will I respond to that? Do you ever wonder this? I mean, I look around and I see people who are greatly distressed and who are facing significant challenges and they're able to respond with faith. Maybe it's the case that if we lay a good foundation of faith in our lives, that when tough times come, God will give us the strength to be able to rise to the occasion. I I think that is the case. I think when we do face turmoil and adversity in our lives, God does give us more strength than we thought we ever had. And we're able by His Spirit to lean on Him and to have faith in Him. Faith greater than we thought we were capable of. I sure hope that's the case. Because I don't want to just have faith. I want to be faithful. Full. 
You know, I want to live each day entrusting my all to my God. You know, I, I don't want to live a life of anxiety and, and, and worry and, you know, trying to do everything on my own and, and, and trying to plan every, you know, little detail of my life in an anxious sort of way. I, I want to live each day by faith. I have a friend in ministry, someone I know who was recently diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. But he's younger than I am. And I have just been amazed at how faithful that he seemed with his Facebook post. And I know Facebook posts, you don't get the, the, real, the full story, right? And I'm sure he's had tough moments behind the scenes. But recently, on September the 22nd, after he recounted the horror, he's begun chemotherapy treatments. He's a youth minister. After he recounted the horrors of this, this is what he said, we got this, and I'm telling you, God is up to something. I can't see it. At times, that's a challenge, but I love my Lord, and I have no reason to question or doubt Him. Man, you know, that's the kind of faith I want to have. When the times get tough. And he said, even more recently, just these lines from a worship song, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. You see, righteous people don't just have faith. We don't just have a belief system. We aren't just saved initially by faith. Righteous people, the Bible says, live by faith. They entrust their entire lives to God's care, even and especially in times of great distress. By the end of this book, Habakkuk is a changed man. Would you look with me in chapter 3, verse 16? The second part of verse 16, this is what Habakkuk says. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Habakkuk no longer seems worried about the timetable. Habakkuk no longer wants God to tell him exactly when the punishment is coming for his people, exactly when the punishment is coming for his people's persecutors, the Babylonians. God, tell me exactly when you're going to dole out your judgment and your punishment on those wicked people, those wicked foreigners who deserve it more than my people do. Tell me about it. He's gone from how long to I will quietly wait for your purposes to be fulfilled. Now those are not easy words to say. God, I will quietly wait on you. Your timetable is better than mine. Your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are greater than my thoughts. I don't have to know all the answers. I don't have to know exactly what you're up to because I trust in you. And I know that everything you do will be for your glory and it will ultimately be for my good. And so as a righteous person, as somebody who's been made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ, as somebody who is striving to be righteous each day, I am choosing to live by faith. And listen to his poetic words to close out this book. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. Love these verses. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines... 
The produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Though money is scarce and the stock market is failing, though problems with friends and family may bring me grief, though disease and death may strike those I love, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk has gone on a journey through this book. He's gone on a journey that we must take as well. Habakkuk, the prophet of God, has learned to wait and to trust on Him. The one who works all things for His glory. He's learned that the righteous shall live by faith, and we must learn this too. That is God's answer. When we ask how long, He responds with this, live by faith, my child. Trust in me, my child. You wouldn't understand my ways and what I'm up to even if I tried to explain them to you. So wait. My timing is always perfect. Just be still and silent in my presence. Live by faith. We'll never have all the answers. We'll never, we'll never this side of eternity, completely understand what God is up to providentially in the course of human history. We'll never understand why He's told us to do everything He's told us to do. Sometimes we question His commands. God, why would you instruct us to live in this way when it seems like this lifestyle is more fulfilling and more fun and more satisfying? We may never fully understand why God has placed certain parameters around our lives, but it doesn't matter if we understand it or not. God says, trust in me that I know what's best for you and live accordingly. It doesn't matter if you totally get it. You just need to live by faith. That's what righteous people do. We're never going to have all the answers. But we can choose to trust in the one who does. In the one who holds the future in his hands. In the one whose ways are always perfect. Today, are you ready to live by faith? Have you confessed Christ in the past and yet you're not really living in a way that shows complete faith and trust in God? You can come this morning and say to your church family and to your Lord, I need help. I have confessed Christ. I am a Christian. I know that I'm saved by faith, but I hadn't been living by faith, I have let anxiety and worry and questions and doubt consume me no more. Starting today, I choose to trust in God and in His ways. Or maybe you've never confessed Christ and you're ready to come and become a child of His, become part of His family. Maybe you're ready to, to come and to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins so that you can rise up out of those waters and be a new creature and go out of here and strive to walk in newness of life. We invite you to begin this journey of faithfulness this morning, one that will lead you into everlasting life in the presence of your Lord. If you've never put on Christ in baptism and you know that's something that you need to do so that you can be saved now and forever, we hope that you'll do that right now as we stand and sing together.